Hello, and welcome to the first episode of What's Out There. I'm your host, Grim Webster, and I'd like to thank you for joining me on this maiden voyage, I guess you could call it. Let's go ahead and jump right in with some news from the past month or so, stuff that's either been posted on the blog or stuff that I just found interesting in general. Uh, the first one, Dr. Jesse Marcel Jr. He, uh, he handled debris from the Roswell crash in 1947. He died on August 23, 2013. Marcel was the son of Major Jesse Marcel, who was involved with the recovery of the Roswell debris. Major Marcel, after recovering the pieces of the crashed UFO, took them home to show his wife and his son Jesse Jr., who was only 10 years old at the time. Jesse Marcel Jr. grew up to be a medical officer in the U.S. Navy, becoming a specialist in ear, nose, and throat surgery. After retiring from the military in 96, he was called back to duty in 04 as a flight surgeon for Operation Iraqi Freedom. Dr. Jesse Marcel Jr. was one of 200 witnesses to the events of July 1947, and uh, until pretty much until he died, he insisted that the debris was a UFO and not a balloon. Now, his story has gained a lot of attention, and mostly because his life was pretty exemplary, and nobody could question his integrity. He was 76, and he will be missed. Now, you may remember back in 2011, a strange carcass washed up on the beach of Nassau in the Bahamas. Uh, it was about 50 feet long, and a lot of people speculated that it was a whale carcass. Well, in July of this year, a similar carcass was spotted floating in the Persian Gulf. On August 15th, another carcass washed up in Spain. Now, the first two were similar in size and shape, and both of them were believed to be whales. And actually, if you go to the website, you can see pictures of all three. Now, the third one, though, that one's a little different. It was uh, The third was slender, maybe about four meters long, and actually appears to have horns. Now, the first two, in my opinion kind of look like Falcor from the movie The NeverEnding Story. If you grew up in the 90s, you probably know what I'm talking about. Now, the third one actually kind of looks more like a Chinese dragon. According to researchers, a chemical ingredient for life may have been more abundant on early Mars than on early Earth. Phosphate, which serves as a backbone of DNA, may have been critical to life on Earth. Based on samples from meteorites, Mars has about 5 to 10 times more phosphate than Earth. Now, this adds to discussions of possible life on Mars, both past and present, and actually creates a new discussion on whether or not life on Earth actually originated on Mars. Now, imagine that. What if we were all really Martians? Speaking of Mars, though, over 100,000 people are ready to go to Mars and never come back. The Mars One Project wants to begin colonizing the Red Planet in 2022. Each pod sent to Mars will carry around 5,511 pounds of supplies, and the pods themselves will become part of the habitat. Food and solar panels are included in the list of supplies, but water and oxygen are not. Mars One CEO Bas Lansdorp says they'll be mining water from Martian soil, and from the water they'll be able to produce hydrogen and oxygen. Despite the risks and challenges, including funding, Lansdorp insists his group will get people to Mars by 2023. Now that's kind of awesome. You can see some of the applicants on the Mars One website, which is also linked up on the blog. I'd like to talk to you tonight about something called binaural beats. 
and that's the process of taking two tones of different frequencies and playing them together, one in each ear, to create a third beating tone. Now these were discovered in 1839, and they were first used in cognitive and neurological research as a diagnostic tool in the treatment of Parkinson's disease. It was later used in research by Thomas Warren Campbell and Robert Monroe to try to produce a 4 hertz oscillation associated with an out-of-body experience. Based on their findings, Monroe went on to form the Monroe Institute and the binaural beat technology known as Hemisync. Binaural beats are said to be able to have a wide range of effects on the mind and body, such as simulating the effects of drugs, improving memory, help dieting, stop smoking, and even treat erectile dysfunction. Now, when I discovered them, I was much more interested in the claims of stimulated ESP and likelihood of paranormal experience. Now, when I first heard about binaural beats, I actually I found an article somewhere, and I wish I could link it up to you, but I don't remember where I found it. Basically, it was talking about how kids are getting high off sound and it may be a new dangerous drug and it was really just it was an article just full of scare tactics about well about binaural beats and that got me interested and I started looking into it and I came across the Monroe Institute website and I was looking into that stuff and they have you know these audio files that you can download and test out and then they sell CDs and things like that and basically, each one's supposed to be a different meditation, and it's supposed to help with calming down or focus or, you know, something like that. And I listened to a couple of them, and it's just, it's, you can kind of hear this kind of wah-wah-wah-wah in the background, but there's music on top of it, and I guess it's supposed to be mellow and calming and stuff. However, when I did more research on just the beats in general and started learning about frequencies and things like that, I decided that maybe maybe the the hemisync wasn't exactly right for me and I just kind of went for the for the direct tone, I guess. And now I have experimented with a couple different tones and I really I by no means am qualified to really recommend anything or say that it works or it doesn't work but what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna tell you what I found now according to a website I found and I will link this up on the blog page of course the frequency for uh, stimulating ESP which of course I've always been extremely interested in I completely fascinated with the powers of the mind and you know the the possibilities and the capabilities and things like that so when I saw stimulates ESP it was kind of like a oh boy you know I just <laughs> I went for it so apparently 7.8 Hertz stimulates ESP now the 7.8 is actually the middle tone the tone that's created by the two other tones put together and that's supposed to stimulate ESP. Now, I, I, I really don't know if it works or not. And uh, I'll tell you why in a second. Uh, now, the second one that I found, the second tone, is 10 hertz. And that's just supposed to enhance the release of serotonin. And if you know anything about serotonin, that's the chemical that's released when you go to sleep. And it just kind of makes you feel good and mellow and okay. 
Now, I don't know if that works because I used it before bed and I fell pretty much right to sleep. Now, I don't know if that's from the beat or just because I'm tired. I mean, I sleep like the dead as it is, so I really can't say anything about it. Now, going back to 7.8 hertz, which stimulates ESP, I've been using that, and I want to say... I want to say that there's progress, but I'm not really sure. Uh, because along with the beats, I've actually been doing a meditation uh, from the book Awakening the Third Eye by Samuel Sagan. And I really don't know if it's the beats or the meditation or a combination of both. But since I've started doing them, I've had vivid dreams that I can remember, and that's a big thing because I hardly ever remember my dreams. Even when I was a little kid, I couldn't remember my dreams. So now I'm starting to remember my dreams, and they're really, really weird. So, <laughs> uh, once again, I'm not sure if that's the beats or if that's the meditation, but I've been doing both, and I have been becoming aware of my third eye where the third eye is supposed to be, I'll often feel a tingling there now since I've been doing both of these, and I attribute the tingling probably to the meditation and maybe the dreams to the beats, but once again, I can't really say for sure. But if you want to try it out, I'll put the link up to the list of frequencies, and there's also programs you can find out there where you can create your own so you don't have to download them from somewhere else. Also, if you just go to YouTube, and you could search YouTube or Google, really, and there's tons of these things out there that people have already created. And you can experiment with them. And I would be very curious to see what you have to say about it and what results you get. That would be very cool. Okay, what I'd like to do now is something that I call interesting people. Now, I did this already on the blog once, and if you haven't read it, that's fine. If you have read it, it's worth hearing again. So I'm going to go ahead, and I'm going to do it now. And let me go ahead and set the scene for you real quick. I love to listen to Coast to Coast AM, probably my favorite show. However, since I work in the morning, I don't get to be up at night to listen to it. So what I do is I record the show... And then I load it on my MP3 player and I listen to it at work. Now, a couple weeks ago, they had a guest on by the name of Andrew Basiago. Now, he was speaking about life on Mars, which isn't uncommon for coast to coast. But he said that he knew there's life on Mars because he's been there. Now, obviously, when I heard this, my ears pricked up and I focused a little more intently on what was coming out of the earbuds. Now... He says, in the late 1960s and early 1970s, he was a child participant in Project Pegasus. Now, Project Pegasus is a U.S. time-space exploration program. Now, he claims that he was one of 140 children and 60 adults known as chrononauts, and they time-traveled, well, to different times. He claims to have visited Ford Theater on the night that Lincoln was killed. He says he's been there a couple times, actually, but has never actually seen the assassination. He also claims to have been at Gettysburg for the Gettysburg Address and says that he was dressed as a Union bugle boy. He even presents a photo that he claims shows him as a small child in a bugle boy uniform. And that, of course, is linked up on the blog page, so you can check that out. 
Now, he also says that in the early 80s, he joined the CIA's Mars Jump Room program, where he made numerous trips to Mars via teleportation. He claims that there are two intelligent species on Mars, one that is native, and one that may have come from Earth when the first great civilization fell. Now, in case you're wondering, we are the second civilization. And I believe he said that the first civilization was probably the Atlanteans and, you know, other similar races. Now, there's four other people that claim to have been involved with the Jump Room Project, along with Andrew Basiago, and that would be Michael C. Relf, uh, Arthur Newman, William B. Stillings, and Bernard Mendez. In addition, Barack Obama and Mary Jean Eisenhower have been identified as former jumpers, but neither have come forward. So, after hearing that whole big interview, and even, uh, I believe it was Bernard Mendez actually called in and corroborated the story on the phone, so after hearing all of that and talking about the different species on Mars and going back and forth to Mars and time traveling, you know, I was, I, <laughs> I was very much enjoying the interview. And then he dropped this bomb on us. In 2016, he plans to run for president of the United States of America. Now, knowing what I know about politics, and I'm not going to say that I am an expert, but I do know my fair share about politics, and I don't like to get political on things. However, if he runs in 2016, the media are going to tear him up because his platform is basically to expose that the U.S. government has had teleportation technology since the 70s and also to expose the Jump Room program. Now, these are things that I could get behind. I mean, if that was the case, if the government did have teleportation technology and there really was a jump room program to Mars and we've been going to Mars and we've been time traveling, that would be awesome and I would love to expose that. I would love there to be disclosure. I believe that we should know about things like that and we should be using things like that. So even though I could get behind that, I think the media is just going to tear this guy apart. Nobody's going to take him seriously. And does he even have any any stance on any of the regular issues everybody's going to be covering you know social issues and economic issues does he have anything on these or is he just going to show up and say the government's teleporting us to mars anyways if he does actually run in 2016 is going to be very interesting to follow his campaign and believe me i will be following and i will be updating all of you on that If you've been following along on the blog page, or if you've been on the Facebook page, or if you've been to Twitter, or if you just happen to stumble across a couple subreddits on Reddit, you'll know that I've been asking for people to submit experiences to the show. Now, when I say experiences, I don't mean like just ghost stories or alien abductions or I saw Bigfoot in the woods. No, I'm talking about any paranormal experience you can think of. And when I say paranormal, I mean by definition paranormal, outside of normal. So that's altered consciousness, religious miracles, really anything that doesn't fit into that nice little normal category that we all live our lives inside of. So today's story is a ghost story, and it was submitted by a user on Reddit who would like to remain anonymous, so we refer to her as 
Anna. Now, since she would like to remain anonymous, I've asked friend of the show, Sarisha V, to go ahead and read it for us, and I hope you enjoy. This story takes place one summer in Bangkok, Thailand, about three weeks after I arrived as a participant in an international exchange program. It is ultimately about respect for other cultures and some lessons you only learn the hard way. My name is Anna, and along with 19 others from all over Southeast Asia, I was enrolled in a university right beside the Chow Prayer River. It was the week of the Buddhist New Year, or Sankram, so no classes were being held. Most of the students living in our dormitory on Baromara Chachanani Road in the Tolinchan district had gone back to their respective provinces for the holidays. At 20 minutes past midnight, when my Indonesian roommate Widya had already fallen asleep, I heard a frantic knocking on our door. I was already lying down on my bed and it was relatively late, so I was mildly annoyed. I thought it was one of the other girls on the floor, perhaps they'd run out of toothpaste. There were about a dozen loud and heavy knocks that should have woken everyone on the floor because the walls were so thin. Beside our door was a frosted glass panel and I saw a silhouette. It didn't register as odd at the time, but someone was crouching there. I approached, placed my right hand on the locked doorknob, and asked, Who is it? A woman started speaking in rapid, excited Thai, but the strange thing was that the sound was not coming from behind the door. It was coming from behind me, above me, from my left and my right, from everywhere at once. After about three sentences, she stopped, and the silhouette vanished. It was the kind of dormitory corridor where all footsteps echoed, but this time, I didn't hear anyone walking away. I was rooted to the spot, afraid to turn around, but also afraid of lingering near the door. Somehow I knew that what spoke to me was not human, or was no longer human, and I always assumed that if this were to ever happen, I would fall to the floor in a dead faint. I didn't. I turned around and went back to bed. I didn't speak Thai. I wasn't sure if that made the situation better or worse. I thought of waking Lydia up, but I was also afraid of looking silly. I don't know how I did it, but I managed to fall asleep. I woke up before Lydia did the next morning which was a miracle because she usually woke up first to her morning prayers. She was surprised to see me sitting up, and my facial expression must have told her that something wasn't quite right. I told her what happened. After giving me a very serious look, she assumed her position on the mat, facing the east, and started praying. I woke up the other girls on the floor, gathered them in the corridor, and told them the same story. I remember that the other girls from the Philippines were spooked, as was Bufa, the only girl from Cambodia. The Vietnamese were a little calmer about it. The eldest girl, Dao, from Laos, was visiting her sister who lived in Chulalongkorn. That was unfortunate because she seemed like the type who would have her wits about her in a time like this. She once actually told us that her home was haunted by spirits who shook her bed at night. The boys in the program didn't comment much, although one suggested placing a Buddha image in our room. Thavin, from Laos, taught me how to properly pay my respects to the Buddha image at the entrance of the dormitory with a full Buddhist bow, which I've since perfected. After dinner, Lydia went to her room to attend her evening prayers and thesis. I stayed behind the lobby with the others. About an hour later, she appeared in a blaze of panic. Anna! Anna! She ran right into me, and I, and I hugged her, asking, What happened? What's going on? She said that she'd fallen asleep, but she woke up because someone was whispering in her ear in rapid tie. She saw a long lock of white hair across her chest. She said she couldn't move at first, but when the whispering stopped, she was able to get up and run downstairs. Predictably, we were very alarmed by this point. I was raised Catholic, but I wasn't practicing anymore. The others who were tried to rebuke the spirit. Thaven, who could understand Thai, started talking to a few Thai students who were also in the lobby. The strange thing was that none of them were surprised. They told me in English that if the woman had white hair and was visiting us, then she was the building's spirit guard, or Chao Te. They said that they've all seen her before at one point or another. 
They also called my attention to strips of colorful cloth tied around a beam of wood at the opposite restaurant, and said that those were for the chowte that lived in that piece of land. I've been seeing those strips of cloth all over Telling Chen, but I never bothered to ask what they were for. Things were starting to make sense, but I was still wondering why, of all the occupied rooms on the floor, she was frequenting ours. Did you ask permission to stay? A Thai student asked. What permission? I said. Permission from Chao Te. We always ask permission before staying. I felt ashamed for not knowing this, and I was so sorry for being disrespectful of the spirits. It turned out that for all the other rooms, at least one of them asked permission to stay. It just so happened that they placed one Filipino and one Indonesian, who didn't know the practices, in the same room. The Thai students assured us that she meant no harm. If anything, she was trying to welcome us. Widya and I mustered all our courage, marched right back up to her room, and asked the Chao Te to grant us permission to stay. We spoke in our native languages, hoping that the sentiments would somehow transcend the language barrier. The Chao Te didn't speak or appear to either of us, or to any of the girls on the floor again for the rest of our stay. We remembered to thank her profusely when we left, and I've asked permission to stay in every room I've slept in ever since. Okay, we're coming up on the end of the show, and I hope everybody's enjoyed it so far. Now, before we go, I'd like to do something called Random Questions. Now, as I go out throughout my day, and I'm working, or, you know, just sitting around, random things will pop into my head. And I'd like to throw some of these at you, just to get your opinion, see what you think. Now, I am ridiculously allergic to poison ivy. If the wind blows, I will catch poison ivy. I just will. And my yard grows probably some of the most potent poison ivy I've ever seen. I mean, this stuff is so potent that the government could weaponize it. It's that strong. So normally when I go out and I mow the yard, when I'm done mowing the yard, I have to come and I have to scrub up real good. And, you know, hopefully I get the stuff off of me before it sinks in and I start itching and blistering and getting terrible because sometimes I have to go to the hospital and get a shot. And it's it's just not fun. So... This weekend, after I mowed the yard, and I'm scrubbing up real good and trying to get the stuff off of me, I thought to myself, why is it that humans are the only beings on Earth that are affected by poison ivy? I mean, you take a dog or a cat or skunk or whatever, they can roll around in fields of poison ivy all day and nothing, nothing happens, no effect whatsoever. And obviously plants can't catch poison ivy from poison ivy plant because they're plants, and bugs, well, bugs don't get poison ivy either. It's just humans. Now, that bothers me, obviously, because I'm a human and I hate poison ivy. So, here's a theory I thought up. And now this deals with the ancient aliens theory. So, if this isn't your cup of tea, you can go ahead, just skip ahead a minute or so. Or you can just go ahead and bear with me. But it, you might want to listen, because I think I've, I think I've got something pretty good here. So, now think about it. Millions of years ago, or however long it was, aliens come to Earth and they need somebody to mine gold or whatever it was we were supposed to be doing for them. So they experiment on us, give us some of their genes to make us more a more workable slave, I suppose, is what they were looking for. So they genetically alter us with their DNA, and then when they get what they want, they leave us to evolve on our own. Now... Since nothing else was experimented on, at least that we know of or speculate about, what if the reason that we're affected by poison ivy is because that's a flaw in the alien DNA that was mixed with our DNA, and because 
they're not from here. Maybe wherever they're from, they don't have poison ivy. I mean, probably wouldn't. They're not from Earth. Who's to say poison ivy grows anywhere else? But, you know, that's just a theory. What if? What if that's why? I mean, what if it's a flaw? That's just one of those weird things that I think about sometimes. Another thing. My neighborhood has a murder house. I think a lot of neighborhoods, well, maybe not a lot. Some neighborhoods have murder houses, and I think you know what I mean when I say a murder house. But if you don't know what a murder house is, it's basically a house that somebody's been murdered in. Now, maybe you don't have a murder house. Maybe you just have a good old-fashioned death house where somebody just died in it and wasn't murdered. But me, in my neighborhood, I have a murder house. A, a real, honest-to-goodness murder house. Somebody was literally murdered in the house like a year and a half ago. Now, the house has remained pretty much untouched since then. Uh, somebody shows up every once in a while to mow the yard, but nobody lives there. Nobody goes near there. Really, you don't you don't see anybody, anybody even go near the place. Except sometimes. You see, there's a for sale sign in the front yard. And every so often, you'll see a realtor with potential buyers walking across the yard, walking into the house, walking around the house, looking at things. And I saw that happen just a week or so ago. And I thought to myself, is it wrong that I want to pull up and say, hey, somebody got murdered there? I mean, in my state, I don't think they're required to tell you if somebody's died in the house you're about to buy. But don't you think that's something you would want to know? Now, if... If you see something like that, is it wrong to just tell the person who could potentially be moving in there that somebody was murdered on the kitchen floor? Would I be out of bounds to do that? Is that something I shouldn't do? I mean, obviously, I didn't do it, but I really wanted to. Would that be going too far? These are just some things that I ponder about. What do you think? Would it be wrong for me to tell somebody that the house they could be moving into is a murder house? And then also, what do you think about my alien DNA theory and poison ivy? Makes sense to me, but a lot of stuff that makes sense to me seems to befuddle a lot of other people. So what do you think? I'm curious to know. Drop a line at the blog page or Facebook or pretty much wherever and let me know what you think. I'd really like to hear what your opinions are. Okay, we are officially at the end of the show. Now, before I go, I want to say a couple thank yous. One, to Sarisha V for reading the story for us. And two, to the users at Reddit in the Paranormal and the Truth is Here subreddits. Those guys helped me out a great deal when I first started, uh, basically pointing me in the right directions, giving me ideas, showing me how Reddit worked. I'm very grateful to you guys for that. If you'd like to get a hold of the show submit your story, leave a comment, anything really, go to wotb.blogspot.com. On the left-hand side of the page, you can find a link for the Facebook page. Please like that. That would make me extremely happy and make me feel loved. It really would. Also, beneath that, you'll find probably a Twitter link, and you'll find a phone number. Now, you can call that phone number and leave a voicemail, or you can text that phone number. I also accept texts. 
below that, there's a Google Voice button and a Skype button. Uh, feel free to get a hold of me in any way you want. You can also leave a comment on the blog. I check all that stuff at least once a day. And really, any comments, questions, hate mail, love mail, anything you got, I'd love to see it. So until next time, keep your eyes and your mind open or you just might miss what's out there.